Okay, so here we are. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Live at Five. My name is Paul. I'm one of the leaders here at Kingfisher Church. Uh, Live at Five, we take about 30 minutes to look at a passage from the Bible together. This evening, we're going to be looking at Psalm 20, and we're going to be considering how God answers us in the time of our distress. Uh, let's begin then before we read the psalm uh, in a time of prayer, uh, preparing ourselves before God, asking that he would open our eyes to see who he is. Father, you are good, you are merciful and compassionate and gracious. And so we pray that you would look on us, not in accordance with who we are, but in accordance with who you are. Lord, in your mercy, or that you would open our eyes, uh, that we may see your goodness and your grace towards us. Or that we may turn our eyes away from worthless things and preserve our life according to your word. Amen. Okay, so we are in Psalm 20 this evening. I do have the passage open in front of you. I'm going to read it for us now. Psalm 20. For the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary. With the victorious power of his right hand, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. So, Psalm 20. I... We're going to begin and I want you to imagine that you are standing on uh, the brink of a battle. Now, depending on your temperament, you may imagine that in different ways. For some Tolkien fans, perhaps you're a guard of Gondor and you're standing there uh, before the Black Gate. Or perhaps you're a warrior of Wakanda. And you're facing Thanos' army as they come rushing towards you. Or maybe if you take a more historical approach, you're there in the trenches. Uh, the artillery, they've stopped firing the silence and you're waiting for the sound of that whistle to blow. As you get ready to scramble up those ladders out into no man's land. Now, at that moment, as you were there on the brink of battle, how are you feeling? Now, anxious, apprehensive, fearful. And what is it in that moment that you need? What is that assurance in that point that you were looking for. Now, of course, we aren't going to find ourselves in those scenarios that we've just imagined. And yet we do find ourselves constantly uh, facing battles of many types. Now, all throughout our lives, we face struggles, struggles without struggles within as we face the variety of sufferings and trials in this world. As we face up to our own sin. On the brink of battle. Or perhaps a, a particular battle comes to mind. Now, what is it that you are facing at this 
point in time? What is this moment of distress? And, and as you're there on that brink of battle, how are you feeling? Anxious? Apprehensive? Fearful? Now, and these are normal responses, and yet they have the potential to uh, either inhibit us, to, to cause us to, to freeze or, or to destroy us. Now, in, in those moments, what is it that you need? What is it that you're looking for? What is it you're looking to? Now, who is God in those moments? Who is he to you? How does God meet us? In those times, how does God meet us in those moments of distress? At the psalm that we are looking at this evening, it speaks of the name of the God of Jacob who protects in verse 1. Now in Genesis 35 verse 3, I'll just bring this up on the screen. And this is how Jacob spoke of God. He said, I will build an altar to God. Who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Now, who is God? The name of the God of Jacob who protects. Who is God? Who is his name? How has God uh, revealed himself? The God of Jacob, how is he revealed? He is the one who answers in the day of distress. He is the one who is with us in the time of need. And so we're going to work through this psalm. We're going to consider how God is with us, how God meets us in our distress, how he is the one whom we need. So as we come to this psalm, then uh, the first question is really, who's it addressed to? Because at first glance, this psalm is addressed to us, isn't it? May the Lord answer you. As a reader, if you're reading something and it says you, then you take it to mean you. That makes sense if there's not too many use in that sentence. And that makes perfect sense, especially if you're reading a letter that is specifically addressed to you. You're reading a letter. It says you. You assume that the writer is writing to you. But we have to remind ourselves as we're reading the Psalms, these are ancient hymns. And if you were to pick up a hymn book or, or a song book and you read the words, you, know, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvellous for words. We think something is seriously wrong if you read that and think, oh, they're clearly speaking about me here. Now, we recognise it in those moments. Those aren't words that are speaking to us. These aren't words that we are receiving. These are words that we are participating in. They're words that we're joining. In. And just notice the language in the psalm, how it, it moves around. So we, we get this beginning with you. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. And in verse five, the language moves to we. Verse six, it moves to I. Verse seven, it gets back to we. There's different voices, different responses in the psalm. And by the time we get to verse nine, we see that the you that is being addressed, it's not us, but it's the king. And the image we get in the psalm is of God's people, the nation, the armies of Israel standing on the brink of battle. And the people are declaring their source of confidence as they are invoking God's blessing on the king. And may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name the God of Jacob protect you. Now, why is it that God's people are invoking this blessing on the king? We'll just have a little look at verse five. 
because of victory and joy of God's people. See in verse five, may we shout for joy over your victory. The victory and joy of God's people is intrinsically tied up with the victory of the king. So we're going to probe into this uh, a little more as we go through this psalm. And we're going to consider how God meets us in our distress. Uh, and firstly, how God meets us in our distress through a faithful king. He meets us through a faithful king. So verse five, may we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. As we've considered the victory, the joy of God's people, it is intrinsically tied uh, with the victory of the king. Now, that's somewhat countercultural to the way that we tend to usually think. That it's usually my victory. It's, it's my joy. It's dependent upon me on, on no one else. Now, in the early days of Brexit, there were some people who just said, now, forget this. I'm, I'm just going to leave the nation. I'm going to settle elsewhere because this isn't going to benefit me. And really, I suppose what that reveals is this view, this culture, this reality that we live in is that my prosperity isn't necessarily tied to the prosperity of the nation. I don't need to stay here and seek the prosperity of the nation for me to be prosperous. I can just go off and my prosperity can be found by another means. Now, my joy, my victory is not tied up with the joy and victory of someone else. So this is a countercultural view. It's my joy, it's my victory. It's a message that we hear in songs, even in Disney films. If you want joy, if you want success, what do you need to do? Well, you need to be true to yourself. You need to pursue your dreams. The thing is, these are words that, that promise freedom. And yet, ultimately, they enslave us. And we become enslaved to anxiety, to fear, to oppression. Anxiety is the realisation that we cannot control what we feel we need to control in order to be secure. And the reality is there are so many things in life we cannot control. And when we realise that, uh, that leads to anxiety because we think we need to be able to control this. Conflict comes when we come to believe that what someone else possesses is what we need in order to be secure. And so all these messages of uh, your joy, your victory, it's not tied to, to anyone else. It's, it's down to you. It has this offer of freedom and yet it becomes enslaving. It becomes destructive. And yet here in verse five, we see that the victory, the joy of God's people is intrinsically tied to the victory of the king. And so this perspective that verse five gives, it's countercultural, but it's also incredibly liberating. And yet it's also a perspective that isn't completely foreign to us. I mean, just think of sports teams. And you can watch people in the stadium and you can see them hoping, sometimes even praying. And they're praying that Owen Farrell's going to get that conversion, that Harry Kane is going to score that penalty. And the hopes of a team, sometimes even a whole nation, that are pinned on that one individual. And in those moments, we recognise that what is needed is a skillful individual who is going to succeed. Now, we've been uh, working through Proverbs. We were doing it in our mornings before we went into lockdown. Rich has been doing live at five series in Proverbs uh, over the last few months. 
And one of the things that we've seen in Proverbs, this description of how to live a skillful life and what does it mean to be skillful in life? And Proverbs teaching us to be skillful, it's to be wise. And how's wisdom defined? Well, wisdom is defined by the fear of the Lord. See, sports teams, uh, they need a, a skillful individual who's going to succeed. Now, the people of God here, they need a wise king, one who fears the Lord. That's a person that they need to succeed. That's a person that we need to succeed. And that's what we see then in this prayer of blessing in verses one to four. For this faithful king, this wise king who fears the Lord and praying that God would enable them to succeed. And so verse three, this blessing that God would remember all the sacrifices. And when a king was going to war, now you'd often try and recruit help from somewhere else. And some of Israel's kings, Ahaz, for example, he sought to recruit help from other nations like the king of Assyria. Now, and would send gifts, so saying gold and treasures uh, from the temple in order to sort of secure this help, saying, look, I'm looking to you for help. But the king in this psalm, they're not giving offerings to kings of other nations. Their offerings are to the Lord. This is a demonstration of a, a fear of the Lord, a trust in the Lord. Verse four, we read, may he give you, that's the king again, the desires of your heart. Or perhaps more literally, according to your heart. Now, this is a king who reflects the heart of God, whose heart beats in time with the heart of God. Like it was said of David, uh, a man who's after God's own heart. Now, when you're on the edge of battle, uh, you are not going to pray that God will answer in accordance with a king's heart. Unless, unless you know that this is a king whose heart is after the heart of God, a king who fears the Lord, a faithful king. Because the joy, the victory of God's people, it is intrinsically tied uh, with the victory of the king. What is needed, you see in the psalm, what is needed is a faithful king. And so too for us, it is no different for us today. Our victory, our joy is intrinsically tied to the victory of the king. What we need, what we have been given, is a faithful king. How does God answer us in our distress? And he's given us a faithful king. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one who fulfills this psalm. The king who is without sin. Jesus Christ, God's own son, his one and only son the one in whom the father is well pleased we have a faithful king and yet more than that we have a victorious king as we go and see in this psalm god answers us in our distress with a victorious king just notice in verse six the assurance of victory now this i know the lord gives victory to his anointed. So victory is assured for the faithful king. It's assurance that is even more certain for us because Christ has already triumphed. And Jesus, as he hung there on the cross, cried out, it is finished. And Jesus is the one who has disarmed the powers, the, the principalities and the powers, who's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
Jesus is the resurrected and the ascended Lord. So the victory is certain. The victory for the Lord's anointed, it is even more certain for us at this side of Calvary. And the assurance of victory, then that informs, it directs our response in times of distress. So in verse 6, there's this assurance, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. But then how do the people of God respond? How do the armies respond, those who are facing this battle? Look at verse 7. In the light of all that's been said, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Notice here, this is the voice of of the people. So because the Lord gives victory to his anointed, they're saying this is how we are going to face the battle. Our trust is not going to be in these chariots and horses. Our trust is going to be in the Lord because he is the one who gives victory to his anointed. They're there on the brink of battle and just imagine again that, that mixture of emotions that you could potentially feel, that anxiety, anxiousness, that the, the fear the uncertainty. How do God's people respond when they speak these words of encouragement? To encourage themselves, to encourage the faint hearted. This reminder of where victory is found is not found in the chariots, it's not found in the horses. And so we shouldn't be confident if we have any of that. And we shouldn't despair for lack of it because that's not where the victory is found. Victory comes from the Lord. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. Now, I'm just going to take this on a slight tangent in order to help us, I think, apply some of this to us today. And so the question we're just going to consider briefly is, well, what does this victory that God gives to his anointed look like? Or what did it look like, actually, in the days of the king when God granted victory to his anointed? And I suggest that we see uh, God's victory manifest in ways that we might describe as perhaps the miraculous and also the mundane. So there's a, a few passages I'm just going to bring up on the screen now. The first is from 2 Chronicles 32. So in 2 Chronicles 32, the king of Assyria is laying siege to Jerusalem. The king at the time is a man called Hezekiah. And in the moment of distress... This is what we read. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he, that's the king of Assyria, withdrew to his own land in disgrace. So God intervenes in that instance, just comes in, removes the threat. Um, we might perhaps describe this as discernible divine intervention. So we can see uh, God's hand very clearly uh, coming in and removing the threat. Now in 2 Samuel 5, the days of King David, now here the Philistines have come out looking for David. They've spread out all across the valley looking for him. It's another time of distress and David inquires of the Lord. Uh, and this is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the Lord answered him, this is David, 
Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Parazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. Now notice, it's still God who delivers. But on this occasion, the armies go out and fight. In the days of Hezekiah, the angel goes out, wipes out uh, most of the army. In this instance, David is sent out with the armies. They go out and fight. Now it's still divine intervention. Perhaps it's not as obvious to discern if you were there at the time and if you were looking at the battle now people might think they, they might discern well David he had the better army or David had the better tactics but the reality is as scripture shows us still deliverance is from the Lord now whether it's in the the more miraculous manifestation that we see in two chronicles or perhaps in what seems like the more mundane in two Samuel Either way, deliverance is from the Lord. So let's just take this then into our present context. There's something I'm sure at the forefront of many of our minds at the moment, like with the coronavirus. Deliverance. How do we expect a deliverance or what should, what might deliverance look like from the coronavirus? Perhaps we expect something like in the days of Hezekiah. We cry out to God and boom, God's just in there, removes it immediately. And that is one way that God acts. Perhaps we expect something like in the account of David. God brings deliverance through maybe a seemingly more mundane means. Now, with the involvement of, of people in that through an effective vaccine. It's not necessarily that one's more spiritual than the other, because ultimately God is behind both of them. It's the Lord who delivers. Now, it seems at this point in time, uh, a way of deliverance that God is providing for us is through an effective vaccine. Now, that doesn't mean we stop crying out to God. It doesn't mean we stop seeking him for deliverance. Now, maybe he will intervene in another way. It also doesn't mean that we just sit back. If a vaccine is effective, it's only effective because the Lord wills it. And it also means that receiving the vaccine is not contrary to faith. Deliverance comes from the Lord. As you said, a vaccine is only effective if the Lord wills it to be effective. And really the question is not so much what deliverance looks like. What's the right looking kind of deliverance as we see from some of these passages, deliverance looks slightly different, different times. The real question is where deliverance comes from. Deliverance is from the Lord, as we read here in Psalm 20. It's the Lord who gives victory to his anointed, to his anointed Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the one who rules, who reigns, who is enthroned above all. Christ rules over everything. Christ rules over sickness. If a vaccine is effective, it is because the Lord has willed it. And that is where our hope, that is where our confidence is to be. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And our hope, our victory, our hope of victory is to be in the Lord, not in, in anything else. It can be easy for us to set it in 
in horses or chariots in the context of it, maybe in a vaccine, whatever it may be. I mean, think about that battle that you are potentially facing. A battle that I'm sure you're facing. Where are you tempted to put your hope? Where, where do you feel more confident? If I have these things, if this is in place, if things work out like this, then there's hope. Now that reveals where we're seemingly putting our hope. You see, the problem with these chariots, these horses, putting our hope in them, that when we possess them, it gives us a false sense of confidence. And we fail then to seek the Lord, the one in whom there is victory. Now, of course, when we don't have those things, it's not automatic that we suddenly find ourselves trusting in the Lord. You can lack something and still be hoping for it. And then lack of possessing it drives us to despair, to destruction. See, we strive, we compromise. We fight then to get a hold of that thing that we think is going to bring us security, is going to bring us joy, is going to bring us victory. We get angry when that thing is taken away from us. Now, it'll be a telling thing for our hearts tomorrow when Boris Johnson announces uh, the plans of easing lockdown. How do we respond to that news? And how might we respond in a few months time, perhaps when things don't go according to plan? You know, when we get angry at the government because they've not rescued us from this pandemic, because they said, you know, we're not going to go into another lockdown. We find ourselves in another lockdown and the response within us is anger. What does that reveal? Now, that reveals that we've been putting our hope and our trust in chariots and in horses. But that is not where the victory is found. When we find ourselves putting our hope and our trust in, in chariots and horses, never mind the conflict and the times of despair that we're facing from the outside, we end up destroying ourselves. We end up fighting on two fronts. The trials and the sufferings outside. The sin within. And yet in Christ, we're freed from that way of life. We're freed from that way of life in order that we may live to God. Because in Christ, there is the victory. We have a victorious king. We have a faithful and a victorious king. Our victory and our joy is assured. It is certain in Christ. Now, on Tuesday, we're going to uh, unpack a bit more as to how this applies to us. But just in concluding now, we're going to consider how we respond to this. We get that final line in the Psalms prayer. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. And we all face times of distress. We all face different battles. Battles from without, battles from within, as we face the sufferings and trials in the world around us, as we face up to our own sin. And yes, we do need to know that Jesus Christ, he is the sacrificial lamb. That it is in Jesus and in Jesus alone that there is forgiveness of sins. He is the one who has borne our sins. He is the one who has drunk 
that cup to its dregs, the cup of God's holy and just and perfect good wrath against evil and wickedness and sin. Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. But we also need to see that he is the victorious king. Perhaps sometimes a truth that we can easily forget. Jesus is the victorious king and our joy, our victory, it is tied to the victory of Christ. It is certain. Nothing can take that joy and that victory away. Just think about it as you stand there on that the brink of battle. How are you feeling? Apprehensive, anxious, fearful. What is it that you need to know? What is it that you need to see in those moments? And we need to have that assurance of victory. That assurance of joy. That it is certain. The Lord grants victory to his anointed. He is granted victory to Christ. Christ is reigns. He is exalted above all. And we will see his victory manifested in various ways in this life. Now, we won't see that victory in all its fullness until he returns. But it is a victory that is certain. Victory is certain. Joy is certain because Christ has triumphed. He is the anointed one who is victorious. So we are to encourage one another in the light of the Lord's victory, just like the people in the psalm here. In the light of that assurance of victory, say to one another, to remind one another, some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. That we set our focus, we set our hope on that victory that has already been won for us in Christ. A victory and a joy that is certain. How does God answer us in the time of our distress? In Christ, we have the faithful, the victorious King. In whom our joy and our victory is secured. Let's pray. 1 Corinthians 15 says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father, we thank you that you hear us, that you answer us when we call to you. Lord, in that time of distress, Lord, you answer, you have given us everything that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the victory and the joy that is secured for us in Christ. Lord, that we may be able to encourage and spur one another on. Lord, not with empty words. Not with pat answers and platitudes, but with 
a deep assurance or a deep abiding trust in Christ. And as we do so, that we turn our eyes away from these worthless things. From the horses and chariots that we could so easily hope in that lead us down paths of destructions, paths of destructions in our own lives, in the lives of others. But that we would be still. That we would see your victory. And in so doing that we would give ourselves fully, Lord, to your work. Lord, in living as the people of your presence. Living and expanding for your glory. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, for joining us at Live at Five, if you are part of Kingfisher Church on Tuesday, uh, we're going to be uh, coming back to Psalm 20, looking a little at how uh, we might apply this a bit more specifically and how we can continue to encourage one another. So do be thinking on that, meditating on the truth of this psalm, how it encourages us, uh, how we can spur one another on. Well, I'll see you soon. Uh, next week, we are going to be looking at Psalm 27, God willing. See you then.